kind of strangely, and this is where in, in 1 Samuel, the, like knowing the actual timeline where these things happen, they, they may not be right in like this happened this day, then the next day, then the next day. We're given a couple little things about David. David became Saul's servant, which is interesting because Saul is anointed as king, Saul, or David is anointed as the next king. Saul doesn't know that David has been anointed as the next king. Yet Saul calls David to be a liar player. I don't play the liar, but they, you can see him playing like the little harp-like thing, and evidently David could kill it on a liar because the king asked him to come and play for him. So David was a rock star, right? You're playing before the king, you're pretty good. And then also an armor-bearer. Like, interesting. Musician slash armor-bearer, you know? And then in 1 Samuel 17... David shows that he's actually Saul's best warrior. So now he's like a liar player. So he's like rock star. He's like <laughs> an armor bearer. I'm just not exactly sure what they did. They carried all the armor, I guess. But then also, he killed Goliath. Goliath was a huge threat. Huge threat. Because the Philistines thought they had their man. They sent him out. David went out and killed him. Uh, if you haven't read that story, read it, because it's a beaut. You've probably heard of it. Okay? But, yeah, David is his, his best warrior. Okay, so then David is also, okay, remember Jonathan. Okay, so Jonathan is Saul's son. Jonathan is next in line. Okay, we see in 1 Samuel 18 that David is Jonathan's best friend. Okay, things are getting a little sticky here. Saul is king. David has been anointed as the next king by Samuel. Jonathan is the one who has the blood right to the throne. And Jonathan and David become best friends. It says they're like brothers. This is a, it's, it's intriguing because there had to be some tension in that house of Saul. And then David becomes Saul's nemesis. David becomes a very, very popular warrior. They sing songs about him, like top ten hit song is, you know, Saul has killed his thousands and David has killed his tens of thousands. Saul doesn't like that. That makes Saul really jealous. So now David becomes his nemesis, literally a target. And then interestingly, David becomes Saul's son-in-law. Like, okay. So now David was the best warrior, still is the best warrior. He played the harp or the lyre in front of Saul to soothe Saul. He was like a rock star. Everybody loves him. Saul begins to hate David, and now David becomes Saul's son-in-law. Okay, this is like... Right? I mean, this is like out of reality TV or something. These are historical events that really happen. So to really like try to wrap your mind about where this is going, uh, it's just amazing to me. Okay, so we see in 1 Samuel 19, again, David is a target. Saul tends to lose his temper, picks up a spear. You know, David's like, oh, too fast. You know, it's like, but David's kind of getting tired of almost being killed. So he talks to Jonathan about it, and Jonathan's like, what? My dad likes you. I don't know what you're talking about. 
Literally, like that's how it was going. And David's like, okay, I can't handle this anymore. And so we see in 1 Samuel 20 through 23, David is now a man on the run. Okay, so we've got two of our main characters. Jonathan's kind of a minor character. Where are we? So this part can get sticky for, for me when I was younger, before I really studied it. I didn't understand the lay of the land, if you will. So I have two very busy maps up there. Okay, but I want you to try to focus on three different things. The first one, way up at the top, there's a dark circle around Gibeah. It says Gibeah of Saul. Okay, so this is, this is HQ. This is where the king lives, and everything goes out from here. That's Saul's home. You can see lower on the Judah and Israel side here, it says Mayon. I think that's how you say it, or maybe that's the French pronunciation, I don't know. But Mayon, the wilderness of Mayon, is down there in red. Over here you have Ohio. You should be more familiar with Ohio than Israel, perhaps. Cleveland up top, Columbus down below, the arrow right in the middle is where we are. Um, you can see, and actually in pink, you can't see it very well, but I, I circled Sandusky too, because there are a lot of Cedar Point people I know. So if you were to drive from Mansfield to Sandusky up to Cedar Point, that's about how far David currently is located physically from Saul when we start reading about him in the close call at Mayon. Okay, so the next slide shows a really lovely place. I mean, it's, it's amazing, right? But you wouldn't want to live there. It's called a desert for a reason, because it's a desert. Deserts aren't particularly full of food and water, which you need. Uh, you got to remember, this is Bible times. They don't have fridges. They don't have all the conveniences we have. Um, so this is where David's camping out with his 600 men. He's, he's got these guys who have rallied around him. They're like, you know, I like Saul. Or I, I like David better than Saul. And so they're kind of like bandits on the run. Saul keeps trying to find him. And now we're going to start reading some scripture. So I'm going to start uh, in 1 Samuel uh, 23, if you want to turn to uh, verse 23, 24, somewhere in there, and I'll, I'll jump in. Um, but before I read this, I'm just going to say a quick prayer. Lord, I just thank you for this, uh, this opportunity to teach out of your word. Lord, I just pray that you will speak uh, through this. Uh, Lord, just show us what you have for us to hear. Speak to the hearts. Uh, Lord, allow it to be uh, clearly communicated. Pray these things in your name. Amen. So in verse 23, uh, Saul is talking here, and I'm just, as an FYI, I'm going to be reading out of the uh, NIV 1984 version. It's a very specific version, but uh, to, to me it just, it kind of reads a little bit more easily. Uh, typically, we do use the English Standard Version, so if you have that, you can be reading along. Um, a, little bit, a little bit subjective, but the English Standard Version is probably a little bit more accurate word for word, but in this particular case, the NIV suits us well. Uh, so Saul is talking to these guys from Ziph, which is kind of a cool name, Ziph. Find out all the hiding places he uses and come back to me with definite information then I will go with you. If he is in the area, I'll track him down among all the clans of Judah. So in verse 24, So they set out and went to Ziph ahead of Saul. 
Now David and his men were in the desert of Maon, in the Arabah south of Jeshimon. Saul and his men began the search. And when David was told about <clears throat> when David was told about it, he went down to the rock and stayed in the desert of Maon. When Saul heard this, he went into the desert of Maon in pursuit of David. Now Saul was going alongside on along one side of the mountain, and David and his men were on the other side, hurrying to get away from Saul. As Saul and his forces were closing in on David and his men to capture them, a messenger came to Saul, saying, Come quickly, the Philistines are raiding the land. Then Saul broke off his pursuit of David and went to meet with the Philistines. That is why they call this place Selah Hamalakath. I think that's how you say it. Place of parting. And David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of Engedi. So the map that I have here now shows where he now travels from the wilderness of Mount up to En Gedi. Now you see there's a, a giant white, it looks white on the screen up there, and it says Dead Sea. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Dead Sea. Um, the Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea because essentially nothing can live in it. It's full of salt. Um, so David is heading here. And go ahead and go to the next slide for me. But there is a little oasis. You can't see it too awfully well up there, but right down at the, at the base, next to the water, there's an oasis there at En Gedi. And so David and his men are hanging out. You can see that it kind of looks like the Grand Canyon or something, right? Minus, minus the water. But you can see that you know, there's all these little jagged areas. There's all these caves and places for David and his men to hang out. He's dependent on the people there that live there to help them having a group of 600 hungry men in the wilderness to feed and get water for, probably not an easy proposition. Um, it also strategically, right? I mean, if you're trying to defend yourself, having water at your back's not a bad idea because that's, you know, half as much you have to worry about people coming up from behind you and stuff. So now they're in Getty, and now we're going to get to the meat of the story here. So read with me in 1 Samuel 24, and I'm going to read the whole thing. Um, it takes me about three minutes, but it's an interesting story if you're willing to listen. So after Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. Sounds like something you'd see in Ireland or something, the crags. He came, to, he came to the sheep pens along the way, and a cave was there. And Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off the corner of his robe. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went on his way. Then David went out of the cave and called to Saul, My Lord, the king! 
When Saul looked at him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said I will not lift my hand against my master because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but I did not kill you. Now understand and recognize that I am not guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me. But my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom are you pursuing? A dead dog? A flea? May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. When David finished saying this, Saul asked, Is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just told me of the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he not let him go away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel be established in your hands. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. So David gave his oath to Saul. Then Saul returned home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. So we're going to dive into this a little bit because this is just one of those stories where, you know, sometimes you just shake your head. We read some of those stories in the Old Testament and we're like, okay, that's just weird. Okay? And we're going to like just tear this apart and look at it. So, you know, the verses 1 through 7. I was trying to come up with something for this without using a word that, you know, the 4th and 6th graders would chuckle at. And so I came up with the royal pit stop because I figured the adults would probably understand that one as well. Uh, you know, but you know, Saul is looking everywhere for David, and boy, did he ever find him. Didn't think to look in the bathroom. Uh, so what we do in our class, when I'm teaching my class, a lot of times I'll read through the whole thing like that because it gives you kind of the overview, right? You kind of hear what's going on, but there's a lot of words in there that, you know, some of them don't make sense or you haven't heard before. So, so I like to just go down, we're going to break it down. And so I'm going to reread some of this. So in verse, in verse 1, just, you can read with me again. It says, after Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, we just talked about that. He was going after the enemy and trying to rid Israel of their enemy. So David is in the desert of En Gedi. Okay, so I showed you where En Gedi is. I showed you what David's doing. He's hanging out at the crags of wild goats in verse 3. It says, Saul came to the sheep pens along the way. So a sheep pen would have just been like a place where they would keep sheep. All right? And it says there that uh, a cave was there. And so Saul went in there to relieve himself. I don't think I have to expound on that too much. Okay, we all understand what that means to relieve ourselves. Um, but my guess is that he was going number two. Uh, 
Yeah, it's, it's funny. <laughs> it's funny. David and his men were far back in the cave. I, I kind of wonder. Now, there's going to be some supposition here, right? I'm going to be, like, you know, telling you my opinion or what I think. And this is one of those areas where I think it says that they're back in the cave. I, I, I wonder where Saul's guard was, right? Security guys, is this not a total, like, breakdown in personal security for, <laughs> for your king? Uh, you know, but you saw where they were. Like, there's all these rocks and crags. Who can be there? David's clearly not going to be around here, right? I don't know that they did a very good patrol before they checked out where their king was going to the bathroom. But just picture it. They're in this cave, this dark cave. You know, you got the creepy noises with water dripping or what? Well, probably no water because it was a desert, right? Yeah. But they're in the dark. They're way in the back. It's kind of nasty back there. They see this guy walk in, and David's men are like, Dude, check it out. It's all. <laughs> you know, they're like, hey, this is the day the Lord spoke of. And they're probably doing this, right? Because they're in a cave. It's echoey and they don't want to, they're trying to be quiet. Okay. This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. What do you do to your enemy? In the year, you know, whatever, B.C., you destroy them handily to prove that you are. David's the next king, right? He has every right to take over his kingship, right? I will warn you. My kids get tired of this sometimes, but I, occasionally I throw questions out to entrap them. All right, so David is next king, from man's perspective, he should be the next king if they understand he's been anointed. Not many of the people do. The men he's with probably do. Okay, but from man's perspective, who's the next king? Jonathan, Saul's son, okay? In God's perspective, it was David. So anyway, his, his men are like, okay, listen, you got to creep up to him and you deal with him. So David's like, Okay, so it says, David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. So I picture Saul coming in, and, you know, he'd be dressed in his royal garb because he's the king. He's got to look the part. So even if he's traveling, he probably has all of his stuff on, and he's going to have his royal robe. So, you know, if you're going number two, you don't want to get your royal robe soiled. So you take off your robe, and you hang it over here in a rock or whatever, and Saul's over here, and, okay, Initially, I was like, I should like squat to demonstrate, but you don't really need to, okay, I don't have a toilet, so my, my guess is they did the squatty potty type thing. So he's probably all the way down. <laughs> okay, this is, don't forget, this is David's father-in-law. <laughs> it's like, Dad, jeez, you know, what are you doing? Okay, so David creeps up to his, his robe and just cuts off the corner of it. So then it says, David rebuked his men. He wouldn't allow them to attack Saul. And why? In verse 5 there, because David is conscious stricken. Interesting word. Interesting word. He's conscious stricken because he cut off this corner of the robe. So, he says, David says right there, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master. 
the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. Saul was David's master in kind of multiple ways, really. I mean, think about it. This just wasn't some evil random king. This was David's mentor. Saul was a mentor. Saul was there when David killed Goliath. Saul gave David, hey, if you want to go kill yourself trying to kill that giant, go ahead. But Saul blessed him and said, go. Saul was there for that. Saul was there, and David played the guitar. He's like, hey, you know, Saul was my groupie, right? You know, I played the liar for him. They had a relationship. This is, his, this is David's best friend's father. I, I mean, I don't know about you, but I would probably not do anything harmful to my best friend's father intentionally, right? Let alone my father-in-law, uh, you know? So these things are going through David's head too, and I think God makes it clear in this component that David needs to not kill Saul. And then he crawls back to his men and I can imagine what they were thinking. Like, what in the world? What in the world are you doing? So they send him back out. So then Saul comes out of the cave. And it's interesting because uh, in, verse, in verse 10 here, David is talking about, you have seen with your own eyes the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you. Let's remember the picture, okay? So there's this cave, and how many people are with Saul? 3,000. It said 3,000 of Saul's soldiers are standing there. Saul comes walking out. Okay, good, the king's done with his business. Let's head on our way. And then David comes walking out of the cave behind him. And there are 3,000 men witnessing this. I mean, I can't imagine how Saul felt. You'd be like... What in the world? What, what just happened here? Saul looks back to David and he says, Is that you, my son? Saul knew who David was. He couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe it. David just tells Saul over and over, like, I am not your enemy. I am not going to kill you. I mean, it would have been kind of cool, right, if he'd been in the cave and Saul, like, goes in or go to the bathroom and everybody's milling around outside. And then David comes out with the crown and the royal robe on. Hey, guys, I'm your next king. And <laughs> I mean, can you imagine? Wow, what a miracle of God that would have been. Absolutely, that would have been a miracle of God. David knew that that wasn't the way that God wanted him to do that. Man, time goes fast when you're up here, doesn't it? It really does. So then we get to the royal apology. And, you know, what Saul says to David here is so heartfelt. I mean, he stuck to this promise and this apology for probably about three days before he started trying to kill David again. That's a little bit of a spoiler if you keep reading the rest of the story, because I want you to read the rest of the story. So the, the last thing that I really want to talk about 
in this is who is God? You put up that next slide. So for that, that moment for David, the fear of God was greater than his fear of man. I mean, he, he was sick and tired of being in the desert and running. You read about it all the way through the Psalms. He was tired of being pursued. He was at his wit's end. And then he has this opportunity to make it, to make it end. An opportunity that had to be God-ordained, right? I mean, of all the luck in the world for this guy to come into the cave where David is hiding. Taking... But David feared God. And he knew that God did not want him to do this. And so he chose that. And in the next slide, hmm. you know, who is God in this to you? Okay, this is one thing that I, I really want to emphasize because this is what I emphasize in our classes in the fourth and sixth graders. When you read through scripture and you read a story like this, it's very easy to like, oh man, I want to be David. He was so cool. I'm certainly not Saul, right? I'm more righteous than Saul is. These stories are about God and what God does and who God is. I want you to look for that. My kids also know a lot of times I will I'll ask them questions that I know the answer to or that I have an opinion on. And uh, they'll say, well, what is it? Look it up. Because I want them to understand they can find that answer. And particularly in Scripture, God will speak to you, and I want to encourage you in that. So this, this week, I'd really like it if you'd read Psalm 142. Uh, this one is, has a heading of the cave. Not 100% sure this is the cave that uh, this occurrence occurred in. There's another famous cave, if you read in 1 Samuel. Um, it may have been written it there. But David really just puts it on the line. He talks about having faintness of soul, like his soul faints. God is there for him. I imagine he was pretty, uh, pretty feeling faint when Saul walked into that cave like he did. Um, take, take time to reflect on who God is. The character of God. Sam's been going through the names of God. It's been, it's just been amazing to learn all these different names because it, it's nothing more than just labeling God's attributes of his amazingness. And interestingly, one of those names of God appears uh, in this one, multiple ones, but uh, Shalom is in that last passage. And then take time to pray. Take time to pray. I, I have a gut feeling that when Saul or when David got up and cut that robe uh, and then he felt conscious stricken, maybe he didn't take time before he went that, you know, up there to pray. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. That's supposition. But I think too many times I have just jumped to my decision. I depend on my own wisdom. I depend on my own discernment. Take time to pray. God answers. And then my last challenge for this week, read the rest of the story. First Samuel just has some really, really cool stuff in it. A lot of interesting stories that are just 
And they just show how God works. It's amazing. Lord, I just thank you for this time that you've given us. Lord, how you speak to us through the word. Lord, how you were so faithful in your promises to David. Lord, that you just worked in such amazing ways. Thank you for doing that in our lives, Lord. We thank you for, for Christ, for Jesus, for his love, how he saves us. Because of him, that final sacrifice, Lord, you see me as righteous. Thank you, Lord, for that. Lord, be with us uh, just today. Just allow this uh, final song, Lord, just to be uh, just music to your ears. In your precious name, amen. Hey, everyone. Pastor Sam here. Thanks for joining us for a Sunday sermon. If you're interested in more of the sermons from this series or some of our past sermon series that we've done, you can find them at discovercommunity.org under the sermon file. Uh, otherwise, you can subscribe to this channel to make sure you stay up to date on all our content. Thanks for joining us.